Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Psych Movie Minute Podcast, episode number 32. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Blum, and I often will do this uh, show with a co-host, Kathleen Adams. We're both child and adolescent and adult psychiatrists, and uh, we are looking at a film from 2017, One Minute at a Time. It's the Year of Spectacular Men. It's an independent film that just happens to it's not a mental health movie, but it happens to have a number of different mental health topics in there. And we're looking at one different topic or series of topics per minute of the movie. So there's not that many in there, but uh, if you look closely at it, as with many films or many other works of art, you can often find something mental health related. And that's really what we're trying to do is talk about these things in terms of mental health that are often not talked about uh, in ways that are in a way almost mundane because I think there's often a lot of um, people often don't talk about these things much and because of that then mental health gets seen as a big mystery which is not uh, it affects everybody uh, in various ways and so uh, part of our goal is to share a little bit of that with with folks uh, with the goal of increasing overall knowledge and if we can do that, then that helps everybody, I think. So for this particular episode, actually, in a way, it's actually a two-part episode because 32 and 33 are both about the same thing, which is depression. In this particular film, it's a, um, a story about a young woman named Izzy who is recently, at this point in the film, graduated from college. She's not really sure what she wants to do with her life. She's just moved back home to California to live with her sister, Though you don't get the sense that it's necessarily something she necessarily wanted to do. It's sort of the default plan. And she doesn't have a job yet. She doesn't know what she wants to do yet or how to use her degree. Um, and we're meeting her in episode in, uh, in this episode, basically 30 going into, or 31 going into uh, 32, where she has just arrived. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be watching the minute and then we're going to be talking a little bit about it. So let's go ahead and do that. We're actually going to be watching this in real time. So you could actually follow along with us if you'd like. You can watch this film on a number of different platforms like Hulu and for free on Tubi, for example. But we're starting in at minute 31 of the film and you'll hear it playing in the background a little bit. And then we'll reconvene and talk a little bit about it. Final, we were shooting Crazy Youth, and because the movie's about to come out, they want me to vaguely perpetuate it. So Izzy is sitting down. What else am I supposed to do? With Sorry. her sister and her sister's boyfriend. Someone like super fans. Uh, see what I have to put up with? Butter? Um, yeah. So it says it's now the June. The has set in. Hard, I see. One. Okay, she's about my purpose. Three is. You have to do something more useful with your time. I'm proud of the squiggle. This isn't a suicide suggestion. Just open up a fucking box. Sister hands are uh, a kitchen knife. <laughs> Interestingly enough, I think the, the music that's playing in the background is uh, a theme that uh, comes out again at some other point. So the, the main character, Izzy, is actually played by the 
uh, is played by Madeline Deutsch, who is the writer of the film. But she also did the music, too. So there's there's a couple of musical kind of uh, themes that come back uh, a couple times. In that minute, you saw that, no, she probably graduated. Um, a lot of college graduations happen in May. And so we see a little little bubble there that says it's now June, and she's lying in bed. And her sister is like, you know, doing sit-ups on a uh, an exercise ball and telling her to get up. It's, you know, probably afternoon or something like that. She, we see a number of boxes there. This must be like a spare bedroom or something like that. And uh, she has a bunch of boxes that she must have had stuff shipped over to uh, this particular place that are sitting unopened. Now, if anybody's ever moved before, you know how much of a pain that can be. Now, Izzy doesn't have a lot of stuff. Uh, this room is, I don't think, furnished. The rest of her sisters, have, her sisters by the name is named Sabrina, is... Uh, quite immaculate and, and well decorated and stuff like that. Izzy doesn't have a whole lot. Um, she uh, she has a uh, X-Files poster. It says Believe. Well, I don't know if it's X-Files. It's just like, you know, like one of those alien ones. It has like the, the grainy picture of like the UFO that was probably like made with like a pie plate or something like that, you know, like from the 60s or whatever. She's a fan of the X-Files and she's hanging it up. It looks like maybe like with electrical tape. So it looks pretty ghetto. And then we hear the thing about the depression is set in hard. So now we're going to be talking about this over the two past next two episodes. So I thought for just this episode, we just talk a little bit about when we say depression, what does that sort of mean? And then we'll talk a little bit about uh, screening for it. And then in the next episode, we'll talk about sort of what to do about it. So um, when we talk about depression, at least in a medical context, we're talking about something that is actually really, really, really pervasive. Uh, if, if you look around the world, you know, you, you see it in, in all different kinds of cultures and stuff like that, but comes out in different ways. And it often is used in the general public, those words, in a different way than it is in a medical context. Often people say, oh, I was feeling kind of depressed or, you know, it's kind of down. Everybody gets down, uh, down in the dumps sometimes, you know, so sometimes people will describe that feeling of being blue or sad or low or some variation of that, right? You know... Uh, it's a, they get the rainy day blues or people after pregnancy will have the baby blues or, you know, something like that. And it gets used so much, I think, that people don't necessarily uh, view it in um, necessarily a pathologic way, which is not necessarily a bad thing. There are some places, and that, that tends to be in a Western uh, context, there are plenty of places in the world where there really isn't no, there is very little conception of feelings as a uh, as a inner state um, there isn't the vocabulary for it it's not something that's talked about it's not something that's discussed so la last episode in episode uh, 31 we talked a little bit about sort of multicultural uh, backgrounds and stuff like that and so I part of my family for example comes from Asia and in many Asian cultures there really isn't much in the way of conception of mental health in the same way we think of it they, they have their own words for it and everything like that, ways of thinking about it, but it's not in the same ways that uh, kind of people do in the West. And so when, when people are um, from those cultures, sometimes are asked to explain their feelings or talk about them, sometimes it's a get blank expressions because it's not something that is generally discussed. Or if it is discussed, it's discussed, you know, sort of behind closed doors. Um, so there is a fair amount of stigma against mental health issues in those uh, in, in a lot of places, um, 
And that's changing, but uh, it's it's still a barrier, I think, for a lot of people. So even as common as depression is, I mean, that that's still the case. So when we think about at least depression in a medical context, we're looking at something that is pervasive, meaning like it's not something like, oh, I was, you know, sad for a couple hours and then it just went away. Now, if someone is sad for a couple hours every day, that might be a little bit different. But generally, uh, it's a predominantly low or sad or, or down mood uh, for a period of extended time. So generally, the general definition is, at least for clinical depression, is at least two weeks. It's arbitrary, right? But um, plenty of times, you know, people will, will be depressed for intermittently, off and on, for, you know, months or maybe even longer. Now, when you look at people's moods, it's a little bit like the stock market or blood pressure or anything like that, and meaning it doesn't stay the same. It fluctuates. It goes up and down. And so people's moods will do the same thing. But often people who have, uh, who are in a depressive state will have much less range in terms of how much their mood fluctuates. There may be very, very little variation and periods of time where people actually feel good. Uh, it will, of course, happen here and there, but it tends to be less less frequent and very much shorter. So maybe a couple hours or a day or two, and then often they're back to the low baseline. So it's not just a mood thing. I mean, sometimes it may not necessarily even just be a sad thing. Sometimes, in some people, uh, they may not necessarily recognize what being sad is. If I mentioned before, like, you know, it's not necessarily always acceptable in some cultures, or then people may not have the vocabulary to talk about being sad. Uh, or, or down or depressed or something like that. But they may instead be angry or irritable instead, maybe sort of grouchy. And so that's that's another variation. Uh, this is something, there's also a bit of a gender bias here too. Um, and again, you know, depending on the culture, you know, in some places it's not really acceptable for men to, to express sadness or to talk about those kind of things like that. But it may be okay for them to be angry and to have outbursts or to be irritated at stuff or annoyed or whatever. So that you can see it depending on, uh, there are some variations in how it presents. So there's a length of time that's more sustained, more bad days than good days uh, overall. And then if we look at some day-to-day things, you know, so it's not just um, an emotional kind of thing. Uh, it'll also tend to affect a number of day-to-day activities. So here we see Izzy is lying in a, lying in bed and she's not getting up. So one of the things that people often notice, it will affect their sleep. It tends to affect sleep in a couple different ways. So often people will notice that their sleep is disrupted during the night. If you look at how clinical depression actually comes out when it's been studied in a lab, like in a sleep lab, Periods of time where people have REM periods, those are the rapid eye movement periods where people typically are dreaming, those tend to be in the early morning anyway. That actually often gets shifted to earlier in the night. And so people will enter those periods uh, before actually cycling through um, like stage one, two, three, four sleep. Uh, they, have ten, they, they may cycle through them, but not as much. Usually there's a couple of those cycles before actually getting to REM sleep and people in, in major depression may actually jump right to REM sooner. I don't think people really know why that is. REM is supposed to be restorative um, and so maybe the idea is that people are not sleeping as well and so they're they're jumping right to what they need. 
but I don't know if anybody really knows, but that's something that really uh, tends to correct itself when people are better. The other thing that sometimes will, people will describe is that they have difficulty falling asleep just because they're having, you know, during the day they're busy and then at night they're alone with their thoughts and that's a time when there's more negative thoughts that may come just because there's no distractions. They may have difficulty actually initiating sleep. But initiating sleep and also sleep is broken up and waking up early. So you can, ex you can expect that they're probably going to be tired during the day and often they are. It may be physically, like they just sort of need a nap. It could also be mentally, they just sort of feel mentally exhausted and they don't have the energy or motivation to actually want to do things, even things that they normally like to do. And so there's this word called anhedonia. Um, and if you recognize hedonism as sort of the pursuit of pleasure, and an meaning sort of not, meaning not hedonistic or, or not really able to experience pleasure, you, that's often a thing that you experience in, in depression, where people are not uh, able to experience pleasure to the same degree. Everything seems kind of a shade of gray, or they may do things, but they don't really feel like they get a whole lot of out, out of it. They feel like they're just sort of going through the motions of it, and they're just sort of like a robot, you know, uh, not really fully engaged in it. They may describe the feeling of sort of being detached or um, almost out of body in some cases. I mean, sometimes people will describe feeling like things are not quite real. Um, uh, or they feel detached, uh, like looking over their shoulder. Uh, and those, those are their own thing, and they can be found in many different um, uh, uh, conditions, but sometimes people describe that with, uh, uh, de when they're depressed as well. Like the sort of a distance between them and what they're doing. Uh, people also may describe, because of that, that they don't really enjoy you know, favorite things. Like they don't enjoy favorite foods. Food doesn't taste as good. They don't look forward to things. Uh, and their thoughts may also be much more negative. Negative thoughts about themselves, the world, the future, much more self-critical. If things don't go right, much more easily uh, likely to blame themselves or to view themselves as a burden to other people. And so as a result, people may not want to spend a whole lot of time with other people. And they want to sort of isolate themselves because they're like, ah, people don't want to be around me. I'm just going to bring them down. Um, when they try to do work, uh, something that requires their ability to focus, it may be worse than normal. They may feel more absent-minded, kind of like their mind is slower or hazier. Often, often people describe the feeling of just kind of like walking through a fog. Uh, and so people who have pre-existing attention issues may actually notice that they, those issues are much worse. Their ability to sustain focus is probably shorter and they may have kind of almost what looks like, you know, ADHD or a learning issue or whatever, because it's harder for them to engage with something. They may also notice similar changes in their body. So they may notice that their body seems to move more slowly, feeling like their arms and legs are heavy, uh, like it's difficult to initiate movements. Sometimes it's more the opposite where they feel more agitated as well. So there's going to be often a change in what we call psychomotor movement, but basically just expressing, you know, how you move. Um, and then often there are thoughts about death or dying, not wanting to live anymore. Not necessarily always suicide, but uh, sometimes people will look for a way out, even if they don't necessarily want to end their life, they may not want to be in pain anymore, or they may sort of fantasize about even fairly detailed things, ways to, um, to end their life, to not be around anymore, 
uh, even if they have zero intent to actually carry through on any of those things. But sometimes people do, uh, and they start thinking of more detailed plans. And so that may also go along with something that's actually different, which is actually just self-injury, which is not necessarily part of depression. It can be something that's totally different, but someone may be more likely to engage in self-injurious acts when they are depressed. Often people will describe that uh, if they're going to engage in self-injury, uh, it has a whole host of different reasons why. Um, although I often will ask people about it, you know, uh, in the same vein as, say, suicide and things like that, although the, the causes are often, or the reasons behind it are often very different. Often when people are doing things that cause injury to themselves, they don't necessarily want to harm them. They don't want to die. Uh, they, they usually don't necessarily want to um, have anything more than an end to pain and so or, or they they want to stop feeling numb you know they, they may describe they, the pain is better than being numb so they'll do something to feel not numb or it could be the opposite they feel too much in pain and then cutting themselves or doing something else that causes pain or injury like punching a wall and you know or like burning themselves or something like that may actually cause them to have less pain and feel more numb or sometimes people do it strictly for things like self-punishment because they feel like they deserve it and things like that. These can have a variety of different um, kind of uh, causes, not necessarily strictly depression, but it's something that you sometimes will see in that. Um, sometimes people's thoughts are, are not turned inwards, they're turned outwards, meaning like uh, they may have thoughts about wanting to harm other people, might be much, much more likely to get in arguments or fights or things like that. Uh, again, because, like I mentioned before, they just may be, they may not necessarily express depression in terms of sadness, but it may be more in anger. And so there's all, th those are those are a whole host of things that, that tend to come out, um, that some of which are physical in nature, some of which are more emotional. And uh, we have this manual in mental health called the DSM the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual uh, for for all the different um, known, uh, you know, uh, criteria that we have for um, for uh, mental health, you know, uh, conditions. And if you look in there, you you will find all of these there, these criteria. Asking about sleep, a person's interests, the sort of level of negative thinking or guilt that they have, ability to concentrate. There, oh, I, one thing I did forget is appetite. Um, often, I did mention in terms of often they don't feel like uh, food is as pleasurable, but sometimes they'll just eat less and they may in fact lose weight. They, do, they often lose the, the appetite for food. And uh, then psychomotor changes and then suicide. They form this little acronym. And uh, if you ever look at an old, old school uh, prescription, you will see the name of a medication and then what's the, the, the instructions. In Latin, that goes by the word SIG, S-I-G, and there's a colon, and it'll say like something like take one tablet daily, you know, uh, whatever, something like this, some variation on that. The acronym for depression is basically how do you treat an, uh, de depression, and it's SIG, colon, E-caps, or energy capsules, which would be nice because often people who are depressed have, or tired, and don't have a lot of energy. So SIGI CAPS is the little acronym for how to screen for depression. S being sleep, I being interests being changed, G meaning guilt or negative thinking. Now the colon actually is its own thing in a way. It, it's not really technically part of the, the acronym. But one thing to ask about is 
literally that, colon, meaning like someone's GI habits. And it gets to food, it gets to eating, and it also gets to uh, constipation. Sometimes people who are depressed, this is sort of an anecdotal thing, but you'll sometimes see it, are in fact depressed, uh, or in fact constipated. You know, if they're not eating very much, then often they will become constipated. If they're not moving very much, then again, they're going to be constipated. So it's, 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 I use it as a way to ask about, to, to remember to ask about GI distress, uh, which is often impacted in many, many mental health conditions. Your, how you're eating, how you're processing food, what your stomach feels like. Um, and then, uh, so SIG colon, colon and then E for energy and CAPS so C is capsule or is capsules well yeah it, it sort of it sort of is in the acronym but C for concentration um, specifically slowed concentration or slow thinking uh, A for appetite P for psychomotor changes either either slowing generally slowing or agitation and then S for suicide that's a little acronym that we tend to use and it's it's not hard I think as a as a basic thing to ask some of those questions now of course people can have more than one thing going on so we'll talk in the future about some other things but often people will notice that they have issues with say anxiety that's co concurrent with uh, depression they may have some difficulties with say attention uh, they may have difficulties uh, with stuff that is related maybe like you know nightmares from past trauma or whatever that is going to be intermingled with this and make the picture more difficult now as far as izzy goes we, we have a couple insights so far we mean you know, depression is alluded to it's talked about here we'll talk about it next next minute as well there's also some there's you know she has some trauma in her life her father died by suicide and uh so we get the sense that there may be some anxiety from trauma there. She's talked about some anxiety-related things like phobias and things like that. So there's going to be a mixed bag, as with most people. Most people are not just one; don't have just one thing going. They have a, a conglomeration of a, a, a few different things. Most people are a little more complicated than the, the quote-unquote textbook examples uh, that you might use to learn about these different conditions. And then there's a whole host of situational kind of things going on too that can often feed off of or either make better or make worse these conditions. So if you can imagine if someone's homeless, which Izzy's not homeless, but she's, uh, her home situation was probably also contributing. But if you can imagine if someone's not able to get food, if their access to food is very poor, if they don't have a roof over their head, I mean, all this stuff is going to be exacerbated. If they don't have a job, you know, uh, then you can start to see some of the reasons for why they may be depressed. But they also then, it's also a perpetuating cycle. So when we look at different things like that, we're often looking at, you know, what's sort of the predisposing factors? Um, what are the perpetuating factors uh, that often influence a condition? And a few other, other P-related words, which we'll talk about in the future. But uh, that's for another time. So we're going to come back to Izzy. We're going to come back to talk about clinical depression in the next minute. But uh, what I thought we would do uh, here is just before we sign off, I would say that if you have particular questions or comments or things like that, I, you, you can obviously feel free to write in. If you go to the main page uh, where you find this podcast, it's hosted on a, um, on a service and site called Anchor, which is one way to make a podcast. 
And uh, there's a way to leave a message to us uh, if you have particular questions. You can also post a message on social media uh, or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram uh, under Psych Movie Minute related things. If you look at that, if you if you sort of like search there, you'll find us. So if you have particular questions and stuff that you would like us to address, feel free. So join us next time on the Psych Movie Minute podcast and thank you for listening.